Hi, I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Kelsey. We're into telling you stories. Sometimes funny, sometimes awkward, sometimes creepy or sad, but who knows? Every month it's different, but no matter what, you'll be asking yourself. Okay, WTF. Welcome, friends. All right, settling in for story time. Episode one, brought to you by OK WTF Podcast. Um, TM, TM, just, TM, TM. TM, 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 TM. I'm just going to dive in. So I um, have a bunch of sources, but I'm also going to enter this a little bit. We're going to talk about a few things and we're going to start with mass hysteria. Um, And then we're going to end with the infamous, maybe infamous. I didn't know this person. I'll be curious if you do. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but her name is Fra Traffer. Do you know who that is? No, except that she would be German, Germanic area. So it'd be like Frau. Frau. Frau Traufer. Yes. Frau Traufer. F-R-A-U. Last name T-R-O-F-F-E-R. Okay. Yes. So to kind of understand or kind of understand Frau Traufer's legacy, it means we have to talk a little bit about mass hysteria first. Um, I think the important thing to understand here is that we really just don't know anything. That is what I learned as I was reading. Everything is speculations. Nothing's real. Um, And as a species, I think we're just always trying to figure things out, which is totally great. Honor curiosity. Um, But mass hysteria, as I've learned, is really one of those things that no one particularly wholly agrees on as to why, et cetera. So with that in mind... We'll talk through a few of those things and the reasoning for episodes of mass hysteria over the centuries, and in particular, why it was so rampant in medieval times. Ultimately, we'll talk through some of the main reasonings, and I think all of it's a little bit true. I guess, um, I I guess as I was reading through, I couldn't really pinpoint like, oh yeah, this is obviously clear. It just feels like a culmination of a bunch of things, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, so. I will preface that you can find our PowerPoint with all of these sources and associated imagery in the show notes. Um, But before I start, I want to mention my sources for this story. And they come from a whole bunch of places like Wikipedia, Britannica, all that is interesting, the BBC, Dusty Old Thing, Jezebel, Open Culture, Winifred, uh, Akpogi's uh, Medium blog, the Guinness World Records, History.com, and John Leinhart from the University of Houston. So let's do this. All right. We're going to start with psychotic breaks. Uh, so, <laughs> Perfect uh, place got, to start. Got this lovely image here. Um, some sort of painting illustration from a long, long time ago, just showing a bunch of people <laughs> going through, I guess, what appears to be a psychotic break, which just looks like a mass of people dancing with clothes from a long time ago. Um, many people believed that the compounding pressures of just being a human in medieval times was enough to make a person experience a psychotic break. I have to agree that's probably true. Um, and I think given the last few years um, on earth now, we can probably all relate to collective community trauma. Um, 
and how that impacts humanity and the mental and physical health of people today. So uh, just imagine back then um, they were going through plagues of all kinds back then because it's not like their sanitation was stellar. So author John Waller was quoted in open culture as saying the city's poor were suffering from severe famine and disease. And many people in the region believed that they could obtain good health by dancing before a statue of St. Vitus. Vitus? Vitus? I don't know. They also believed, he wrote, uh, that St. V uh, had the power <laughs> to take over their minds and inflict a terrible compulsive dance. And that once these highly vulnerable people began to anticipate St. V and the curse, um, it increased the likelihood that they'd enter this trance state. So it kind of takes us to another reason many people thought uh, everyone was experiencing these psychotic breaks. And I think impacts of or assumptions related to religious beliefs and religion as a whole, which is really what takes us to good old Saint V, who we've got on the screen here. Hello, my friend with a feather. So another consideration from open culture from John Waller was that inexplicable episodes of mass obsession and compulsion serve as disquieting examples of our unconscious taking hold, which is super creepy. Um, mm. But the brain is also super weird, so I'm not surprised. And that mass panics and delusions, they tend to incur, occur in people who are under extreme psychological distress. And at the same time, who believe in the possibility of spirit possession. So those two things apparently come hand in hand. So it wasn't just spirit possession that freaked people out, but it was also things that society deemed immoral at the time. So as it is today, pervasively in our society, religion was really based in casting judgment on others for experiencing things like addiction, sex, being sex workers. And according to Winifred's blog on Medium, even something as lighthearted as dancing or just playing music. So like being a human. <laughs> Chris Foster of Dusty Old Thing, which is, I just love the name of that. He wrote that some people believed mass hysteria was because participants were engaged in religious cults. That was never been confirmed and I couldn't find anything else that really talked through that. But I also believe that religion holistically is a cult. So <laughs> I was like, hmm, interesting. But put another way, uh, the idea of spirit possession encourages believers to enter a disassociative mental state. And so it kind of renders their normal consciousness useless and it causes them to carry out irrational physical acts. So I think this belief in a higher power and then that in conjunction with being surrounded by many other believers, it's like a group mentality, right? At least people pray to adopt these extreme behaviors and what others may be experiencing, which is just disassociation in general. So it, again, it's like that mob mentality. So as religion does, it tries to make sense of the world in a nonsensical, deeply harmful way. <laughs> and I can't even slightly entertain the idea that people are being cursed with mental health problems due to subjectively sinful behavior. Never mind that I don't even believe in sin. But some things are just <laughs> ridiculous. But this was a, a big, this was like that second big reason. So the first reason was like, okay, times are tough and people are losing their mind. I feel like that's way more probable. Yeah. The second reason is all of these like religious things. I do think that there's some mental health correlation with 
obsessive religion and mental health status, but that's a story for another day. But this one seems a little far-fetched for me, whereas this third one is one that I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. On the left, we have um, fungal sclerotia, which is growing on barley, which is really uh, ergot. And on that's actually on the right. On the left, we have a detailed painting called Temptation of St. Anthony by someone named Matthias Grunwald. Um, and it shows a patient with advanced ergotism. So this takes me to my third popular theory for the cause of mass hysteria um, and that it was really related to ergot poisoning. So ergot is a type of mold. It grows on rye and it has hallucinogenic properties. So Patrick, Patrick, my beloved husband, really believes in this one. He was the one who said, what about ergot poisoning? And said that I should include it. And I did a bunch of research on it. And yeah, he's totally right. Like, this is a super common theory among historians. John Kurowski uh, from All That Is Interesting uh, wrote, ergotism can bring on delusions, spasms, other symptoms of the condition include an extreme uh, decrease in blood supply. So um, the poisoning itself can create a lot of like movements and just like hallucinations in your body. So according to Wikipedia, ergot poisoning was really common uh, throughout history, especially way back then in medieval times. And additional symptoms of this were painful seizures and uh, diarrhea, paresthesias, itching, mental effects like mania and psychosis, headaches, nausea, vomiting. So that sounds super chill. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this one's really interesting to me because this was also at the heart of a very well-known mass hysteria, the Salem witch trials. So I promise we're getting to Fran or Frau. Um, Frau. <laughs> I kept calling her Fran when I was researching it because I I don't know. Um, she seemed very Fran-like to me. But um, so the witch trials everywhere I was reading, people, historians were relating the witch trials to a really perfect example of mass hysteria and likely brought on by ergot poisoning, at least partially, because it was so prevalent at the time. Apparently, during the time of the Salem witch trials um, and general witch hysteria, the climate in different areas where witch trials were happening or like um, this like witch hysteria was happening, the climates in those areas were perfect for mold to grow on rye, which acts essentially like LSD if you ingest it. Obviously, there's no like refrigeration or anything like that back then. So there are many other theories thrown out about what brought upon the witch trials, including, like I've already talked about, stress of the times. At that point, there was um, a war had just happened between colonizers and indigenous uh, populations. There is um, an attempt to break the patriarchy at the time. So a lot of people were like, oh, it's just young women trying to break free. But I think that people love to place women at the center of mass hysteria so i that one doesn't really get me <laughs> vibing that is generalized hysteria but over and over and over again in all of this research ergot poisoning so honestly i think it's a combination of many things mm-hmm. honestly possibly even boredom there has to be studies done about that i didn't find any in particular but it i don't know what do you think i feel like 
they had to stimulate themselves and incite curiosity at the time. I would be so bored back then. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I will say I, I'm fond of Salem, Mass. I uh, live pretty close to there. And there's a tour guide uh, named Tom the Tour Guide. Um, <laughs> I think his socials are Salem Witch Wiles. Um, <laughs> he has a theory that has nothing to do with ergotism. And uh, oh. I think it's mostly about land. Uh, land rights and ladies having land very popular land but i'm inclined to agree that i think it's a mixture of things yeah um and you're right about the climate at the time scary and scary stuff yeah i i know it's just so bizarre land at the time that's interesting and it kind of leads into that whole like an attempt to break the patriarchy mm -hmm. but it does right. make me wonder though too at the same time because i'm like so many of the individuals who were kind of Told about like you know who are blamed mm. for like mass witch hysteria were so young like yes. 12 10 11 so that's an interesting one yeah i don't know it's just bizarre but Very. i think all of these things the truth like always somewhere in the middle and it takes me to the true reason why i wanted to tell this story <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> dancing plagues um this is an honest and true WTF to me. I remember hearing about this story. Yeah. Like the dancing plague of blah, blah, blah. And all these people died. And I was just like, what? <laughs> um, no one knows the reason behind why these plagues occur. Right. Um, and how so many people got involved and ultimately how so many of them just straight up danced to their death. One of the earliest documented dancing plagues occurred in the 1370s in Germany and most at the time believed it was related to stress again, um, because there's a famine going on, there's mass flooding, and people had just come out of the Black Death plague mm. years before. And so people were just freaked out. So according to that article written by Winifred on Medium, they just started dancing by twisting, turning for a whole day until they lost balance and landed to their ground in utmost fatigue and sometimes death from bleeding and broken bones. They called this dancing play St. V's Dance or St. Vitus. Is it Vitus? I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just not a religious person. So St. V to me, Britannica defined St. V's Dance as derived from the late Middle Ages when persons with the disease attended the chapels of St. V, who was believed to have curative powers, which I think is interesting. So it makes me think like sickness in some way, like. Mm. Um, to drive people to want to go seek this like curative power. But this disorder was first explained by an English physician, Thomas Sydenham, like many years before. And some people called this hot blood. The most interesting dancing plague to me uh, is the one that happened in 1518 in Strasbourg, France. The reason that's so interesting to me, I think, is because there's very little that I could find about it, but it's definitely the most documented one I could find from that time period. There's just very little information, <laughs> but they did attribute the beginning of this dancing plague with a German woman named Frau. Frau. <laughs> um, Frau. Love you, Frau. Um, according to the documentation about this whole event, just Frau one day was like, you know, I'm just going to dance to no music. And she continued to do that throughout her entire town. She was just dancing about. And initially townspeople thought she was just really joyous. They were like endeared to it. And she even went home and went to sleep. 
So I was like, okay, well, she stopped dancing at some point, but she woke up the next day and her husband had said she had the same quote unquote affliction, the inability to stop dancing. And so she continued. She started dancing away in the streets and people had documented and reported word of mouth, et cetera, that at some point she began to start to scream and wail because of muscle exhaustion and her feet started bleeding, Um, but she couldn't stop. So the documentation I also found said that that's when other people started just joining in. Hundreds of people took to the street uh, and there was no music going on initially. It was just people dancing in this like mass hysterical way. And sometimes townspeople, I'm, I'm guessing, like, I guess if I saw a whole bunch of people dancing, I'd be like, oh, it's like a dance mob. Yeah. So they were like joining them in the street to play music. But I kind of... I wonder if anyone was like, oh, wait, this isn't what I think it is. Right. Something, something's <laughs> wrong here. And then they like stopped or if they just like were falling. I don't know. I just wish I was there. But about after a week of frows, nonstop dancing, she ended up dancing herself to death. So at one point, it was estimated about 15 people a day were dancing themselves to death. And in the end, the casualties were estimated at around 400 people. Jesus. I know. I was like, that is wild. <laughs> There's little else really known or documented. It's all kind of similar information, but that's why I was like, well, how did we get here? Right. So a lot of the information is centered around potential causes because little is really known about Frau, uh, which is kind of unfortunate because I'm, I like wish I could know more about her, her day to day life, like what her husband said about this. Like, was he like, what is going on? But all that to say, the theory that interests me the most is like the psychedelic vibes of Ergot. And it just seems like it was really common because it these types of things were happening in places where rye was really prevalent. So mm. all that to say, in honor of the unknown reasons for mass hysteria and untimely deaths, potentially due to hallucinogenic mold, I'll leave us with something written by Rudyard Kipling, who's an English novelist and writer from the 19th century. He wrote, I have eaten your bread and salt. I have drunk your water and wine. The deaths ye died, I have watched beside, and the lives ye led were mine. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> the dancing plague. Wonderful. Yeah. WTF, like hardcore WTF. I um, I just like have always been so intrigued by this. Yeah, I've definitely heard of it before. Yeah, um, I knew there were a few, but it just could yeah. it was one of those things where it's like, why isn't it still happening then? Yeah. So it has to be That's something. That's why I was like, yeah. <laughs> because we have like refrigerators now, we're better educated about mold. I don't know. That's why I was like, yeah. I mean, we still have stress of the time. I mean, <laughs> no. it's different, different type of stress, but still like eliciting the same stress responses. So I don't know. That's why minute. it's so weird to me. We yeah. do have flash mobs. We do have flash mobs. So maybe they're the the new wave vibe of mass hysteria. Yeah. Maybe that's like, <laughs> since flash mobs have been around, it's kind of like a vent so that something yeah. like this doesn't happen. Who knows? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I don't know. We just may never know. <laughs> may never know. And I will just say it's, it's ergot poisoning <laughs> and smash the patriarchy. I like it. Thank Very you. Good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, 
that was pretty good. Uh, I think you're going to beat mine. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. Hey, we're on a landing page, which involves some <laughs> of my story sources. Um, mm. There's Fancy Bonjour Paris uh, article, uh, Science Alert, uh, Medium.com. I saw you had them before. Of course, Wikipedia. Uh, mm. A few different museum articles um, and a blog called Seven Ponds, um, which is actually really beautiful. It's kind of um, all about grief um, and different articles about that. So I thought that was interesting. The story I will be regaling you with is called The Face That Launched a Thousand Breaths. Ooh. Uh, All right. So content warning. This story deals with death, dead bodies, and suicide. Uh, If any listeners are adverse to this, please be advised. This is coming from a purely historical standpoint. Um, With that said, I'll begin my story with the best modern take of Once Upon a Time that I know of, and that is uh, from Sophia Petrillo of the Golden Girls. Picture it, Paris, late 19th century. A crowd is looking at the latest offerings on display. You might think I'm talking about a market or a museum. No, no, Kelsey. This is the Paris morgue, and that's what's showing right now on the screen. It is uh, located right along the Notre Dame, along the River Seine, uh, which, by the way, is a prime location for morgue to be, in case you want to pluck up any bodies that are found within the murky waters. Um, (laughs) As you can see in the slide, uh, the mortuary is packed with onlookers. It was a favorite pastime uh, for locals, tourists alike, to view the bodies of the recently deceased. Um, I know we like to go hang out and play board games. They like to go and hang out at the morgue. (laughs) So this is like pre-obituary times. Like they're like, well, if we don't have an obituary, at least we can stare. So (laughs) there would have been obituaries uh, because there were definitely newspapers. Um, Hmm. But this was kind of like, it it was a weird thing. Basically, they, they, the bodies were on these tilted slab, like marble tables, slabs, I guess. Uh, There Hmm. were two to each section in those windows. And they had curtains, like a curtain call on the sides of each Uh, as you can see in that photo there are clothing there's clothing hanging above them and there'd be their sets of clothing that that they were wearing at the time Uh, and so before refrigeration uh they were Mm. frozen and um, (laughs) ice cold water was dripped onto them to keep everything uh fresh This was done for two reasons, of course. Uh, first, having the bodies on display like this could help like the police or families mm. with identification of a loved one. Um, the other reason is uh, busy people, entertained people are less likely to cause an uprising. So when I say it was a favorite pastime, I really mean it. It was open <laughs> basically sunrise to sunset, seven days a week. Average crowd per day. What do you want to guess? 20,000. You're not that far off. My lovely wife was like, oh, maybe like 400. No, it's 40,000. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) About a day. And that's like um, people who weren't um, well off, like vagrants, uh, well-to-do people. Definitely fancy people came. Casual onlookers. Uh, Actually, a lot of times they halted traffic. 
um, <laughs> in the carriage roads in Paris because of uh, how exciting it would be to go. It's kind of like uh, <laughs> us going to a circus or a movie theater or something that's part of what they, they did back in the day. Um, that is so weird. So when you were first describing this, I was like, I didn't see yeah. the bodies like slightly yeah. propped up. So I thought yeah. it was like pieces of their bodies hanging. And I was like, well, that's like extra morbid. Yeah. <laughs> but it's clothing. If you go to the next slide, I think there are a yeah. few more images. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So this um, is a print um, and it shows all these people including children and uh, fancy people, not so fancy people looking in on. There's the two bodies in that one section. You can see the clothes a little bit higher up and they're all on that tilted slab. That is so interesting. It was also free. Uh, so that did help <laughs> with drawing like the crowd. Like a DC museum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the Smithsonian, except, oh my gosh. you know, recent history museum. Yeah. Uh, oh, is that rude? I don't know. Um, no. so outside didn't. of here, there were also markets, uh, that, mm. uh, vendors would entice, uh, with their own wares. Um, cops would be there too. Uh, sometimes they'd bring people they suspected of doing the crime, the murder or something involving, uh, the dead body so that they could kind of, they could get a, a confession, uh, from a criminal wow. possibly. Let's go to the next slide. So this was like their forensics. Kind of. This was their investigation. And this They're was early. like, yeah, yeah, the onlookers true crime podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they so had it back then, Alexander Grant Bell. So, okay. Uh, there uh -huh. you can see like the market stalls on the left-hand side uh, outside of the, the morgue. I'll get to the right-hand side image. That's a death mask. Um hmm. It's in one area of the mortuary that I want to point your interest to, Kelsey. Mm. There's a really large crowd gathering uh, waiting for the curtain call, as it were. Uh, a mm. young face, perhaps the one that's on the right-hand side of that slide, greets the onlookers, and they are dumbstruck. Very little is known about this girl. Maybe she's around 16 years old. Um, there's no like trauma to her body. Uh, she was found in the Seine. And her cause of death was deemed to be uh, possible suicide, drowning. Mm. Um, she hadn't been in the river long, and they could tell that because time had not taken its toll, and nor had the mm. water. Men held, held children on their shoulders. Women's cried. Uh, but everyone was just blown away by this young girl's beauty. Um, and she had a, a certain smile that reminded the Parisians of... Uh, Mona Lisa. Mm. So, unfortunately, even though there were there was a lot of uh, onlookers, huge crowd, no one really knew her story. Uh, no one ever came forward. No family ever said, "Hey, this is our daughter." Mm. They called her the um, the Conu, uh, and I apologize if I'm butchering that. I've had four years mm. of French in high school. Um, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, Le Conu de la Seine. Uh, and that translates into the unknown woman of the scent. Um, hmm. So awestruck by her beauty, uh, a mortuary attendant ordered a plaster cast to be uh, made of her face. And that's what you can see right there. Uh, that hmm. is her death mask uh, that the mortuary attendant ordered. It was a common practice at the time. 
Um, mm. It has its roots back in ancient Egypt where uh, pharaohs would have clay of their faces. And we see it mm. on their sarcophagus, of course, with the uh, metalwork mm. and things like that. Um, but starting in the Middle Ages, they began to use plaster. Uh, it was just much cheaper and uh, formed much easier around the face. That um, looks like really realistic. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Like, you can see like the eyebrows, everything, nostrils yeah. are really, like, even the, that smile that they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's bizarre. So um, wow. we're going to do a time jump and right. a slideshow jump if possible. Yes, I'm, I'm moving us on. Okay, we're moving to Move just in. after World War II. It's the 1940s, and we're in Norway. Uh, the man you see on the left of that slide, his name is Asmund Lairdal, uh, and Ooh. he is a children's toy manufacturer, and he also uh, makes children's books. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> yeah, where the hell is this going? Um, <laughs> he's really interested in this brand new material that's being mass produced. Super flexible. Uh, can be formed into any shape. Uh, if you're thinking plastic, you're right, because that's right around mm. the time. Around the same time, Asmund uh, Lairdal's young son, I believe he was two years old, he uh, nearly drowns, but uh, he's there to save him. And he saved him by performing an earlier version of CPR on his uh -huh. kid. Um, you may see where this is going now. Uh. Um, also around the same time, a group of doctors um, reached out to Mr. Lairdall, uh, asking if they could um, use his toy-making skills to create a doll that might be used in this brand-new life-saving technique that uh, was being developed and called CPR. Um, so Lairdall, being the hero that he is, Absolutely agrees. Begins working with these doctors and an Austrian physician named Peter Safar, uh, who pioneered CPR, uh, to create a life-size doll. Before, he used to make only like smaller dolls, and he was kind of mm. nervous. I, <laughs> I can do small ones. I don't know about big ones, um, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. So he's looking around. He's trying to figure out, how do I make like a full-size face that looks realistic? And that's when he remembered something. His in-laws happened to have a reproduction of a certain death mask hanging on the uh, wall, one that was pretty <laughs> and had a very peculiar smile, kind of like the Mona Lisa. Oh, man. So this is the story of how an unknown girl from the late 19th century finally got a name that stuck, her sussy Anne. And that is who is on the right hand side. For Sussy Ann. For Sussy Ann. Oh, a man. Girl whose death we know nothing about helped save a million lives and continues to do so to this day. Well, I love that. And also at the same time, I 100% <laughs> expect you to research if this is how sex dolls also. I know I didn't want to. Um, there is also something I should <laughs> say about the history, and I wasn't sure mm -hmm. how to bring it up. Um, but it <laughs> Now's is, the time. It is slightly problematic. Um, okay. So Lairdall, yeah, 
was oh originally going to do a man's face. Mm. But then he thought that in order to save the most amount of lives, he thought that other men would be nervous about performing CPR on someone or something that had a man's face. And being the time that it was, uh, unfortunately, a lot of homophobia, unlike today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Looking at you, Tennessee. (laughs) Yeah. Bastards. Um, That's a WTF in itself. So that's the reason why he went, he was trying to find a, a feminine face. Uh, was Interesting. He did not think men would be, so that's kind of like on him, but it's also on men at the time. Uh, that, and a reflection oh, of save society. A life? Oh my God. Kiss a boy. Yeah. Uh, really, really makes you wonder. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is wild. Um, that's wild. And super problematic. Uh, I'm glad we've moved past that because as I'm thinking back to when I was working in public schools and in the public sector and having to go through CPR training, there were definitely like definitely gender binary, but both representing male and female at my at my sessions that I attended. So I'm I'm glad and also that's just because you like just anatomically and even just like size related there are different strategies yeah they have you know it is less about how the person looks yeah exactly and more about like just size like if you have a person with a bigger body Mm -hmm. there are different things and strategies versus a a a smaller body a shorter body or like um yeah babies etc that's so interesting. Guess we just weren't saving men's lives back then. No, so. I guess not. Oh God. Oh right. well. <laughs> Wild. This is so interesting. I had no idea. Of course, I had to take it the sex doll route, but it does make me wonder. Um <laughs> I mean, you know I do have to look it up now, but you Yes, that's on you. <laughs> you have cursed me. I have. Oh, thank you. That's now a part of your life. You are so welcome. Maybe that'll um, be the next story. Yeah, right. You're like, so part B. Yeah. <laughs> no, this was really interesting. And I I just like find it. It's just the continuation of like the fact that like people's morbid fascinations for better or for worse have been persistent through time. Yeah. Because I think like, yeah, I'm sitting here like, oh, my gosh, they would go and look at that. But there are people who look at crime scene photos for fun, quote unquote, there or people, for intrigue. There are people I know who have had um, serial killer podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I just, um, it's so interesting. It just like does add another layer. I'm fascinated by the minds of like criminals in different ways, just because I'm like, how how do people get there? How do they end up mm. doing that? But for some reason it feels so I'm not someone who looks at crime scene photos. I I don't, I don't find intrigue in that. So like, it's just so it's hard for me to understand um, that being like, you know, like, Oh, our after dinner entertainment is to walk on down to the local morgue with our four-year-old and just take a look. I just, I can't fathom it, but I also am not from that time. So Yeah. 
Right. I w- also wonder what happened to those buildings. Like, and when did they stop doing that? And why was like, was there like a prohibition level type rise up where they were like, we can't do this. Like, I'm so curious. I need why to do more research up. on it, but I yeah. have been, I have stood at the location where the morgue is and mm. it is not there anymore. Interesting. It, I'm yeah. not sure when it went, uh, when it moved. Um, yeah. I, I would assume because of shifting cultural mm. tendencies um, yeah. that it would, but I definitely have to look that up. Hey, maybe some of our audience members know. Maybe they do. And I wonder. I would be so curious. Yeah, if they could maybe let us know. Yeah. When did it stop? Why did it stop? Um, where did it go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did the like localized funeral homes come out? And like, it's like the, almost the opposite now. Like anytime I go by a yeah. funeral home, everything's shut. It's like super dark. Like you can't see anything. It's almost like the two extremes, you know? It's um, very ritualistic now. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I don't know. Well, that was really interesting. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Kelsey. Ah, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Um, so until next time then. I oh. guess until next time. But what? Ooh. So who wins? <laughs> we have to a vote needs to come in from our audience. And I mean, I'm gonna stand by my statement. I think yours was pretty good. It brought in a lot of new information I had never known. I Same. I am a Frau Stan. Yeah. We yeah. I mean our Instagram's probably just gonna start off that way. Like yeah, <laughs> that's gonna um, be in a bio. Frau Stan. <laughs> Maybe that is the title of this episode. Frau like Stan it. account. <laughs> I like it. Um, because yeah, it she something was going on, and I wish I knew more about her. I wish I knew more about her life. And maybe there's something out there that does delve into it, but from everything I could find, that's kind of lost to the time. But Frau for Life. Um, Frau for Life. That's the episode title with the number yeah. four. Um, yeah. <laughs> if I could go on a quick tangent, this yeah. is one of those times where I wish I had the superpower to like go back in time, but be like totally invisible, not be able to influence anything just as a casual observer. This is one of those ones where it's just kind of like, how did it start? I just want to know, like, what was it yeah. like for those people? Because we don't really have firsthand accounts of any of this. It would be so no. interesting. It would be so interesting. It would be. And it's just unfortunate because it, so much of it had to do with like, yeah, how much um, it was passed down from mm. like tales or if anyone wrote anything down, I, I mean, I even wonder how we have the information we have right. um, because it was so long ago, but yeah. And then it, I still just, I mean, there has to be a relationship to present day and sanitation and things like, I don't know, there has to be, but um, mm. nonetheless, very interesting and a definite, okay, WTF. <laughs> agreed uh, um so yeah i hope people vote because i want to know who won we should set up like a little voting thing 
I agree. At some point. I also wonder if we should ever like make this alive because Ooh. there's some voting things we can just like maybe turn off the checks. I don't trust people and like <laughs> not allow videos and cameras and only allow them to answer polls. But maybe that's something we can look into. Um, yeah. So if anyone wants to join in and listen live, that could be cool. Could uh, be cool. Yeah. So more to come. Perfect. So lovely. Thanks for getting weird with us. Submit your own OKWTF stories for us to share by visiting www.okwtfpodcast.com. And stay in touch on all the social platforms at OKWTF Podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to OKWTF on your streaming service of choice. Thank you so much to Out of Flux and Ayal Talmudi for the use of their song, Da Boom Jiggle. And thank you to Blal Sarwar for their incredible cover art. Until next time. <laughs>